made it back safe and sound to us. Um, it's a little cold for me. I, yeah, it just is. I mean, I, I usually don't cough in a sermon, but I had to let that one out. I was trying to hold it. It just had to come. I shouldn't be taking those walks at night anymore, looks like it. I didn't think it got this cold here in, the, in Phoenix, but I guess it, I guess it does. Um, take out your Bibles, please, and go to John 18th chapter. John chapter 18. If you are um, visiting with us and you want to follow us in our lesson, we're in lesson 10 in the workbook. And Brother Chad is standing at the back. If anyone needs Lesson 10, just raise your hand, and, and uh, Chad will get you a lesson or a book if you need one of those. Thank you, Chad. We have made our way to what is probably the most important of all the days when it comes to the last week of Christ. This is Friday. We are on Friday of the last week of Christ. We finally made our way to Friday. On Friday, Jesus appears before Pontius Pilate. He is scourged. He has to bear his own cross to Golgotha, and eventually he will be crucified on that cross for the sins of all mankind, for my sins and for your sins. We're going to be digging into Lesson 10, the events of Friday today. Okay? Before we do that, let's bow our heads. Let's have a prayer together. Almighty God, our heavenly and wonderful Father, we are so thankful for this moment, this opportunity to study about the Friday, the day of crucifixion of our Lord. Father, it grieves us to know that Jesus lived a perfect life and experienced such harsh treatment, even though he was perfect, but we're also thankful that you loved us so much and that he loved us so much that, he, that even though he did not deserve that treatment, he experienced it on our behalf so that we can receive forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Father, for the events surrounding the cross. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. Let us have humble hearts, open minds, a seriousness in this study as we consider what you have done through your son to, to reconcile us unto you. We're mindful, Father, of our brothers and sisters who are sick and going through various issues right now. We pray that you will bless them. And, Father, we also pray for those among us who have wandered away from the fold, even those we may have had to pull back fellowship from. Father, we pray that you will use us to restore those folks uh, before it's everlasting too late. Bless this hour, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's go through some slides here. Let's go through some slides, and then we're going to read some scripture out of John, the 18th chapter. Just to make sure we're all on the same page, we have made our way to Friday. So we've Covered so far Saturday through Thursday. We're on Friday. That's the trials and the crucifixion of Jesus. After being arrested in the garden, remember Jesus was taken first before Annas. Annas is described as the high priest. He may have been recognized even as the legitimate high priest of Israel. And after he appeared before Annas for some questioning, he was then taken before what was viewed as the high priest, at least according to how the Romans viewed it, he was taken to Caiaphas. And Caiaphas and Annas are related, remember? Uh, two disciples were following Jesus, and these two disciples were who again? Peter and John. They're following Jesus to see what the outcome of the trial is going to be. 
Both trials are illegal. We, we made a point about that last time. False witnesses were brought forward to testify. Jesus was eventually convicted of blasphemy. His conviction was a blasphemy by the Sanhedrin. Remember that. That's what they're making such a big deal of on, on, on Thursday night. Let's see if they make a big deal of that when he goes to Pilate. The leaders agreed that Jesus deserved to die. They wanted him out of the way. And that's how some people can be when they're so determined to hold on to power. When some people are so determined to hold on to power, they'll remove anyone they have to, even if that person is totally innocent, to retain that power. That's what's going on here. After the conviction, Jesus was mocked, spit on, beaten by the crowd. Jesus will have three more quote-unquote trial appearances. The Sanhedrin, and remember this right here, they could not officially sentence Jesus to death. Why couldn't they do that officially? The Romans. The Romans are the, the, the government. And so they can't officially do this. They understand that. They, they get that. During his appearance, appearance before Caiaphas, Peter denied Jesus three times before a rooster crowed twice. So again, remember where we're at here. We're coming in, if we're together on a trip, we're coming in from the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane is at the base. We come into Jerusalem, there's the temple. Jesus has spent, he has spent Thursday night in this direction at the home of Caiaphas. Now Friday morning, they're bringing him over this direction to the Antonio Fortress. The Antonio Fortress is located in the north part of Jerusalem. Okay, so that's where Jesus is going to be headed. And he's going to be making a few different trips on this Friday. He eventually is going to go from Antonio Fortress to where Herod is. I believe Herod maybe somewhere over here towards the, um, the west part. This is the, the west part of Jerusalem. He'll be brought back to Pilate, and then eventually he's going to be taken out to Golgotha, which is right outside of the city of, of Jerusalem. The things we want to focus on today is Jesus before Pilate, him before Herod, the death of Judas, and the handing of Jesus over to be crucified. Okay, so let's read some scripture. John, the 18th chapter. John, chapter 18. Look at verse 25. John, chapter 18. We look at verse number 25. The Bible says this. This is after Annas had uh, Jesus sent to Caiaphas. And as I was studying this the past few days, Annas is only mentioned in one other gospel, and it's Luke, and he's mentioned only briefly in Luke's gospel. He's not mentioned in Matthew or Mark. And so it says, verse 25, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of, one of, of the one whose ear Peter cut off, that was Malchus, he said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. Probably, uh, we're looking at probably about, man, four or five o'clock in the morning. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they might not be the fowl, but might eat the Passover. Therefore... Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? 
They answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, look at what they're saying here. If he wasn't an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. I don't want to deal with this. The Jews said to him, we're not permitted, notice, to put anyone to death. Now Pilate knows this is serious. They want to kill this man. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Brother Greg brought a good point up to me when we were speaking in private on Wednesday. And he was making the brother Greg Nelson was making the point that even though these rulers think they're in control of everything at this point, they're really not. They're not in control of anything. Jesus is in full control here. He is allowing these things to take place. In fact, if Jesus had never opened his mouth and said, I'm the son of God, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been able to convict him of quote unquote blasphemy. This is all happening according to the will of God. That's the point. Don't forget that. These men are not in control. Jesus is in control. So let's look at these questions. I just want to go through these questions today. Let's go back to Peter. Let's talk about Peter a little bit. Peter's trying to hang around. Let's give him some credit for that. He wants to, go, he wants to see what's going to happen to his Lord. But when he is questioned on three different occasions... Twice by two servant girls, little servant girls. And he's, he denies Jesus. He's scared to death. He denied Jesus twice to servant girls. He denied him to somebody who evidently was in the garden a few hours prior who was related to Malchus. He says, I don't know the man. I don't know him. He even was so adamant about this that he starts swearing. He starts using bad language. So let me ask you, and just, just give me a, a short answer on this. Why do you think he's doing this? Why is he denying his Lord? Remember, he was the one who said earlier, earlier, earlier in the night, he says, I will die with you. Remember he said that? He said, I die with you, Lord. So here's the chance. There's a chance to die with him. Why is he denying him? I put down fear. He's scared. He's afraid. It's time to back up the talk. He talked the talk, but now it's time to see if you can walk the walk. At this moment, he's afraid. Now, later in Acts 2, we're going to talk about Acts 2 later. He's not afraid anymore, is he? He's back in Jerusalem. Those same people are there. Except, in fact, there's a whole lot more of them. And he lets them know you killed Jesus. He's a different man 50 days later. He's a totally different man. You know why? Because he saw the risen Savior. That's another sermon. But he's afraid. He's afraid to die with Jesus at this point. Fear has crippled him. And Jesus said it would. Jesus said it was going to happen. But he also said that he was going to come back. He says, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus already predicted all of this. With this point, I just want to say this, because we've got a lot to talk about. So let me just say this. Fear is one of the main tools the devil uses to cripple God's people. Do you agree with that? Would you agree that he continues to cripple God's people with fear even today? Fear is one of the main tools he uses. He can use fear in so many different ways. He can use fear to cripple us on our jobs. Maybe you have a job and your boss wants you to do something unethical. Maybe do something unethical on a, a job report or something. That's when it comes, real Christianity is tested. What are you going to do when it comes down to the wire? Are you going to do what your job, what your boss says to keep that job and get a promotion? Or are you going to let him know I can't do that? 
because I'm a Christian. I have different ethics, I have high ethics. See, the devil can test us like this on, on our jobs. He can use fear of our boss to cripple us. He can use fear of evangelism to cripple us. We're afraid to invite somebody. We're afraid to ask somebody for a Bible study because we're scared they're going to say no. We're not scared they're going to kill us like the Christians of the first century had to deal with. We're scared they're just going to say no. We're scared they're going to stop being our friend. We're scared they're going to call us Jesus freaks or something. We don't want that. So we never invite. We never try to have that Bible study. We just let time go on and on, and we never mention anything about our faith. That's fear. That's the devil using fear to cripple us. He can also use fear to cripple us during a pandemic. Do you know that? He can use fear right now during COVID-19. Some Christians, and I'm not thinking of anyone specific here at all, but I'm pretty sure there are a lot of Christians that are just scared to death right now. They're particularly scared to die. As if death is the worst thing that can happen to the Christian. The devil uses fear. He's continuing to use fear. In fact, he may be using fear this year to cripple Christians more than ever before. Fear crippled Peter. It definitely crippled him. Remember, this is where this is the place where it is believed where Caiaphas' uh, home was, where Jesus was tried on Thursday night. They built the church of Galagantu there. It's a Catholic church. This is the door, the entry into the church. So it's Jesus, supposed to be Jesus, pointing at Peter because Peter's denying him. This is the, the courtyard uh, of, the, of the church. Now, maybe I've told you this story. If I have, bear with me. I kind of want to tell it again. When I was here at, at this place um, at Caiaphas where they believe uh, his home was, and remember underneath here they found a dungeon. They found a dungeon underneath here. You know, when we were there and we're looking around, it was a beautiful day, and I, I kept I kept hearing this, this animal. I kept hearing this, this noise, and it was just so annoying. It was so annoying. And then eventually we all realized it was a rooster. It was a rooster somewhere, somewhere that was just crowing over and over again. And as I heard that, wasn't that just, wasn't that just perfect to be there hearing that? I couldn't help but think about Peter warming himself by the fire, being asked about Jesus. And he's just denying him. This is his Lord. He knows who Jesus is. If anybody knows, Peter does. He saw him transfigured on the mountain. And he's just denying him to servant girls, to other people. And after he denied Jesus the third time, that rooster crowed. The second time, right. The rooster crowed. And when the rooster crowed, what did Peter do? He remembered Jesus. And that's a good point, Lance. I want you to go in your Bible to Luke 22 because Luke is the only one that gives us this detail. He's the only one, Lance, that gives us this detail. Because he did, the other ones tell us he remembered the words of Jesus. And he wept bitterly out of guilt. But Luke says in Luke 22 and verse 60, Luke says, Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, just like Jesus said was going to happen. Now, look at verse 61. The Lord turned 
Oh, my goodness. The Lord. Now, evidently, maybe at this point, the Lord is being transported across the courtyard some kind of way. OK, because he's not in there. Remember, Peter's not in there with the trial at this point. So maybe this is doing a transfer of some kind. But the point is, the Lord and Peter, they come into contact with each other at this point. The, the Lord turned and looked at him. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment? Can you imagine having Jesus look you right in your eyes after you deny him three times? Can you imagine the guilt he must have felt? He made sure that never happened again. That's why you see a different man in Acts 2. Brother Mitch, go ahead, sir. Now, Mitch was bringing a good point up about Galatians 2, when we find Peter you, had been crippled with fear again. In fact, I could have even brought that point up in the sermon this morning. Uh, Galatians 2, uh, in the, with the early Christians, you know, Peter was worried about how the Jews would have perceived him being kind to the Gentile Christians. So he would treat the Gentile Christians all nice and good, in private when he was with them, but when the Jews came around, because there's still this hostility between Jews and Gentiles, even in the church in the first century, Peter starts shunning the Gentile Christians. He treats them differently, differently in public. He's being a hypocrite. You ever been around folks like that who they'll, they'll treat you one way in private, then they get around other people in the South, we call it this. We call it showing out. They start showing out. That's what it is. And, and that's, what Peter, that's what Peter was doing. And Paul saw that. You know what Paul did? Paul didn't just walk the walk. He, talk, he didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk. He went to Peter, just like Jesus said in Matthew 18. He went to him face to face, and he confronted him in love over his hypocrisy because his hypocrisy was so bad that even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was getting drawn into it. Paul went to Peter and told him he was wrong, and he needed to stop that and, and repent. And Paul did that because he loved Peter. He truly loved him. And, and, and Peter, obviously, you know, he repented. He stopped that. But that's, a, that's another point. I mean, another great point. Peter is a man. He has weaknesses. We have weaknesses. And Peter clearly had, on different occasions, the weakness of fear. Fear of death on, on this occasion and when he's in the, in, at the home of Caiaphas. Fear of how other people perceived him, the brethren perceived him, when it came to how he treated Gentile Christians in Galatians 2. So that's a great point, Mitch. That's an excellent point. And so let's just look at it like this. Let me just leave some, with some encouragement on Peter. We make mistakes, don't we? You ever made mistakes? Make a lot of mistakes. I've, I have so many sins on me. Okay? But I like Peter being in the Bible because of all the apostles. I'm probably more like Peter than the rest of me because I make the mistakes over and over again in my life. And sometimes I can speak too fast like Peter and, and speak before I think like Peter. But you know the great thing about his story is even though he messed up a bunch, the Lord still forgave him and the Lord still used him. 
the Lord used him to do wonderful things. He preached the gospel first to the Jews and the Gentiles. Peter is a great example of someone who made numerous mistakes, and yet the Lord never gave up on him. And the Lord will never give up on us as long as we have humble hearts and repent when we, when we fail him. So let's just remember that. Let's remember that we all got some Peter in us. But thank God for his mercy and grace. Question two, okay? Now, remember, so we talk about Judas a lot. Judas disappointed the Lord. But he wasn't the only disciple who disappointed the Lord on this occasion. Peter did too. The difference is one repented and the other did not. That's the key difference between those two. Judas could have repented and the Lord would have forgave him, but he chose to commit suicide. Now, in question two, Jesus brought before Pilate. Why is he brought before Pilate according to the verses that we read? To have him executed. It's not enough just to throw him in jail or in a dungeon or even have him whipped. They want to kill Jesus. They brought him to Pilate. Who was Pilate? Does anybody, can somebody tell me real quick who was Pilate? Roman governor, Roman prefect. I want to show you something here. This right here is called the Pilate Stone. That is actually a replica, a replica of the Pilate Stone. The real Pilate Stone is found in the Israeli Museum in the city of Jerusalem. That's the real one. This stone was found in 1961 at Caesarea Maritima. Caesarea Maritima was the Caesarea that Cornelius was from, okay? And Pilate evidently spent some time in Caesarea Maritima. The Pilate stone is important because it is the only archaeological thing we have, only archaeological discovery we have that confirms the existence of Pilate. Now, I know we got the Bible, but I'm saying outside the Bible, this is the only piece of evidence we have of the existence of Pontius Pilate. The Pilate stone, which was discovered in 1961, on it is written the name of Pilate, and it confirms that he was the Roman prefect of Judea. He was the Roman prefect of Judea from 26 to 36 AD, just like the Bible says. So this goes in perfect harmony with the Bible, okay? Now, as far as Pilate goes, let me just say this about Pilate. I am not the biggest fan of Pilate at all, okay? I know the Jews are responsible for killing Jesus, but Pilate is a weak leader. He is clearly a weak leader. He does some very pathetic things on this occasion. He knows Jesus is innocent, but he caves into pressure. He's in a tough situation, and he totally fumbles it. He totally fumbles the whole situation. Tradition says, and we don't know this for sure, but tradition says that Pontius Pilate actually committed suicide. He killed himself not long after the crucifixion of Jesus. Was he guilt over this? I don't know. Did he really kill himself? I'm, we're not 100%, but there are some scholars who suggest that. So Pilate now has, he's immersed in this situation. The Jews put him in the situation. What is he going to do, especially since he knows Jesus is innocent? Now, if, in regards to Judas, question three. Question three. Go in your Bible to Matthew 27. Let's go to Matthew now, Matthew 27, verses 3 to verse number 5. Matthew 27, verse 3 says, Then Judas, who had betrayed him, saw, and I have that word saw. At some point, I guess I highlighted this word in my Bible, but he saw, I think that's important, that he had been condemned. I want to really highlight Judas saw Jesus had been condemned. 
and he felt remorse. So he sees this happen and then he feels remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said to him, what is this to us? See to that yourself. We don't care. We got what we want now. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. Now, according to the text, and we're looking at question three, why did Judas regret his decision to betray Jesus? He said it himself in the text. What did he say? Because I did what? I betrayed innocent blood. He knew Jesus was innocent. He felt intense guilt over betraying innocent blood. And I think this text shows us, based on the language, that when he saw all that was going on, things did not go according to his plans. He did not expect things to work out this way. I really believe that. I think he saw what was going on and saw where this was going. And he's like, oh, man, look what I have done. Look what I have done. Jesus is not getting out of this one. How many times do you think Judas saw Jesus get out of trouble in his ministry? A lot. There were many times when Jesus almost got, almost got stoned by the Jews. John 8 is a great example. John 8, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And they wanted to kill him there. And Judas, you think Judas saw that, saw Jesus get out of that? He's probably thinking he's going to get out of it again. So if I get paid this time, it didn't work out that way. He saw the Sanhedrin had condemned him. And, and, he, and he, he feels great guilt over this. He really does. He gave the money back. He gave the money back. The leader said, what is this to us? We don't care. He throws it into the temple treasury, and they use it to purchase a field to bury strangers. It's called the field of blood. Then Judas commits suicide. He kills himself. He loses his soul because I think Jesus makes that point clear when he says it would have been better if that man was never born. That's how bad hell is. It's better that you're not even born. Judas' body will later burst open in the field. That's Acts chapter 1. Now, let me just say, that is not a contradiction. You know, sometimes critics of the Bible say, well, which one is it? Did Judas die by hanging himself, or did he die by having his body burst in, uh, in a field of blood? Judas died by hanging himself. He hung himself, and then at some point, the branch, you know, broke, and his body burst open. That's what happened. This is in perfect harmony. So Judas hangs himself. That's how he dies. And then later his body falls in the field and bursts. That's Acts 1. This is in perfect harmony. There's no contradiction here. Okay, I just I want to make that point. Now remember, I'm going to give y'all a few minutes to make some comments in the, in, at, the, at the end. So just, so just bear with me, okay? So, so we got this situation with Judas. And there's so much we could say about Judas. Y'all know that. In fact, you may have some things you want to say, and so I'll let you say it here in a few minutes. But Judas, the thing I want to take away from this is he made a bad mistake. Jesus would have forgave him, but he committed suicide. He committed suicide, and I think the Bible, at least from my understanding and my belief, I think he died lost. I think that's clear. Question four. What charges did the chief priests and the elders bring to Pilate when they went before him? This is Luke 23, 1 and 2. Luke 23, 1 and 2. 
They brought, did they bring, did they come to Pilate and say, hey, Pilate, we got this guy named Jesus here, and we want you to do something about this because he committed blasphemy. Is that what they said? What did they say? Luke 23, 1, and the whole body of them, Luke 23, 1, the whole body of them got up, brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the king. Where's blasphemy in that? I don't see any blasphemy, do you? They come the next morning with totally different charges. They don't bring up anything about blasphemy. You know why? Because they know Pilate could care less about blasphemy. Pilate don't care about the God they serve. This is a Gentile man. They got to bring charges that they know will catch his attention. That will make him sweat a little bit. So they bring him, they bring charges of treason. They bring charges that Jesus is trying to be a revolutionist. He's saying, don't pay taxes to Caesar. Did Jesus ever teach don't pay taxes to Caesar? Last time I checked, Jesus was the one who said, render to Caesar the things of Caesar. They're liars. They're evil men making up these corrupt charges to get their way. So they charge Jesus with treason. They come to Pilate saying, he's saying don't pay taxes, and he's saying he's a king. Now they knew Pilate was going to really pay attention to that because the emperor wants no one threatening his, his reign, his authority. So they bring these charges here that have nothing to do with the night before, and they do that because Pilate, they need to do something to catch his attention. They know these charges will make him talk to Jesus because these have to do with the Roman Empire. So they change the charges. Now Pilate's going to talk with Jesus. That caught his attention. And he talks to Jesus and he questions him. And after questioning him initially, what does he realize? This man is innocent. This man hadn't done anything wrong. Pilate understands that Jesus is innocent. You see that in Luke 23, verses 3 and 5. And so Pilate, you know, he wants to wiggle out of this. He wants to get out of this. He realizes somebody's in town. Who's in town? Herod's in town. Herod's in town. He's there for the Passover because Herod and the Herod family had been proselyted into Judaism. They actually come from the family of Esau. They're Edomites, but they've been proselyted into Judaism. So they're going to keep the Jewish customs. They're there for, he's there for Passover. Pilate says, well, since Jesus is from Galilee and Herod is over the jurisdiction of Galilee, y'all going to take him to Herod. I don't want to deal with this. So they take Jesus to Herod. And guess what? Herod and the Herod family understanding that, that's a complicated study. I mean, you might as well try to understand the Kennedy family or the Bush family. That's just, there's a lot on that tree, okay? But uh, they, take him, they take him to Herod, and Herod has been looking forward to seeing Jesus, isn't he? He's, I want to see this guy. This is great. Why? Because he had heard a lot about Jesus. He had heard about Jesus and his miracles, and he wanted Jesus to come in front of him because he wanted a dog and pony show. That's what he wanted. He wanted Jesus to do a miracle. That's what he wanted to see. And does Jesus oblige him? He doesn't oblige that. Jesus doesn't even talk to him. He doesn't even say anything to the man. And that frustrates Herod. Herod thinks he's crazy. This man's crazy. 
So they mock him. They put a, a, a robe on him and they send him back to Pilate. So Jesus goes back to Pilate now. And Pilate questions him again. He continues to question Jesus. And once again, he finds nothing wrong with him. There's nothing that he has on, on Jesus. It is interesting that when you look at Luke 23, verse 12, you may want to highlight that verse. I think it's interesting how after this, Herod and Pilate, who were one time enemies, they became friends. They became friends after this, after this incident with Jesus. So Pilate says he's still trying to get Jesus out of this. He's, he, you know, but he's, he's not doing it in a really authoritative way. He's trying to scheme and wiggle to kind of do it. Okay? So this is another tactic he uses to get Jesus released. When you look at Luke 23, and we're in the Gospel of Luke now, Luke 23, 13 through 25. He, he, tells, he tells them about Barabbas. Barabbas is mentioned. Can somebody tell me who was Barabbas? How does the Bible describe Barabbas? He's a murderer. And what else is he? He's an insurrectionist. He's a revolutionist. He is exactly what they're charging Jesus as being. Uh, a man who has rebelled against the Roman Empire. Did you know, and you probably do, but did you know that crucifixion was specifically designed in the Roman Empire for people like Barabbas? The Romans wanted to make examples of insurrectionists. If we were living in the first century and we wanted to go see a crucifixion, we could go see one any, any, every day. And usually it's going to be insurrectionists, people who are rebelling and starting revolts and factions against the Roman Empire. The Romans wanted these people to be murdered publicly as a, as a symbol and a sign not to go against the empire. If you go against us, this is where you end up on a cross. So Barabbas is a murderer. He probably has murdered Roman soldiers because he's an, insurrection, an insurrectionist. The Jews would have looked at Barabbas as a hero because most Jews hated being under Rome. They hated Roman authority. And people like Barabbas would have been held as heroes. So, they, so Barabbas is charged. He's in prison for what they're falsely accusing Jesus of. So there's a custom at this time. There's a custom around this time where Pilate releases one prisoner, you know, to the Jews. So a, a, a criminal can go home. And it's between Jesus and Barabbas. It's between the Son of God and the insurrectionists. It's between this holy, sinless, perfect Savior and the murderer. Pilate says, which one do you want? He's probably thinking, I know they're not going to want this guy to go free. Who do they pick? They say, we want Barabbas. We want him. But we want Jesus dead. We have no king but Caesar. That's how determined they were to get rid of him, that they would be willing to let a murderer go. Because they probably liked him anyway, because he's an insurrectionist. So Barabbas is released. He's released. And the last thing I want to say, and then I'm going to let you make some comments, and then I'll stop, is Pilate had Jesus scourged in. So we've gone from, we go to Pilate, we go to Herod, we go back to Pilate. Barabbas is released. He's picked by the Jewish leaders to be released. Then Pilate says, well, we're going to have Jesus beaten. We're going to have him scourged. Let me tell you something about scourging. 
I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Passion of the Christ. But that movie is right on the money almost when it comes to scourging. It was that bloody of a mess. It really was. It really was. A whip with a handle of metal lashes was used. The victim's flesh was often torn, revealing sometimes internal organs. Many would die from these beatings. You wouldn't survive it. This is probably why Jesus couldn't carry his cross to Golgotha. Because he was beaten, scourged by the Romans. Pilate thought this would have satisfied him. Well, it didn't satisfy him. They want him dead. It would have only satisfied them had he died. In John chapter 19, the Bible says that there were other horrible things that happened to Jesus. In addition to being scourged, he had a crown of thorns beaten in his head. They put a purple robe on him to mock him as a king. They slapped him in the face. They spit on him. They did all these horrible things to Jesus, and that still did not satisfy the Jewish leaders. They would not calm down. And so you know what Pilate does? Pilate, and, and this is really pathetic to me, he washed his hands, literally washed his hands of this and says, I'll hand him over to be crucified. He was a coward. He knew the right thing to do. But instead, he just washed his hands to say, I have nothing to do with this, when he, he's not innocent even. He had the authority to release Jesus, but he wouldn't do it because he was a coward. Let's just be honest about it. Okay, I'll stop, I'll stop right there. Um, Anybody got any comments? Um, just a tough lesson to teach because there's so many awful things happening to our Savior. Uh, Brother Lance, go ahead, sir. I, I didn't look this up, but I, my memory might fail me, but wasn't that his wife who recommended him? Yeah, she had a dream. Yeah, uh, Lance was mentioning Pilate's wife. She was Pilate's wife. Uh, I think it may be in the Gospel of Luke. I can't remember exactly. I, I, but I, she I, said, stay away from that man. Stay, talking about Jesus. Sure. But this washing of the hands, I kind of always attributed it back to his wife, who was very traumatized about the events that were happening and the warning that she had regarding his involvement. Well, I think his wife, I think he should have listened to his wife. I think he should have said, let Jesus have nothing to do with him, let him go. I think Pilate was a coward. I think Pilate on this occasion is so worried about the emperor thinking he can't control his jurisdiction, that he's like, I'm going to give the Jews what they want so they can be quiet. See, Pilate's like, if I don't put this fire out, the emperor's going to get involved and he's going to maybe remove me because he's like, you can't handle your jurisdiction. You can't handle these Jews. So I think he does it to retain his job and his fear of the emperor. He gives them what they want so they can just be quiet. Right. And I and I and I think I think that was a sign of him knowing Jesus was innocent, but just in my view, and I could be wrong on this, Lance, but in my view, I think it's I still think it was a pathetic act. Oh, yeah. I really I, that's just my view on it. Brother Don, yes, sir. The emperor had only given the governor of Judea, regardless of who it was, two specific instructions. Number one, be nice to the Jews until they started riot. And the third one's going to happen in 70 A.D. So he's stuck yeah. right there. Yep. 
Now, that's a good point. Uh, maybe anyone else before we close. There one more comment, maybe. Anybody else have something? I want to make sure I don't overlook. We good on, we good on this so far? We're moving right along. Wednesday, we'll uh, get to the crucifixion itself, okay? So thank you for listening so well. Y'all are a great class. It's just a pleasure to always study with you. Thank you so much.